This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's happening, everybody? Jeff Kasouf here, your host of Kicking Back, as always. And on this episode, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit on what it's like to cover women's soccer from a media perspective. Obviously, I can speak to that a little bit, but my guest on this episode is Meg Linehan, women's soccer writer for The Athletic. You probably know her from covering the NWSL, the U.S. Women's National Team, and beyond. And on this episode, we talk about the ins and outs of covering the sport, covering the league and the team, the different challenges, positives, negatives. And hopefully you walk away from this episode with a better idea of what Meg does, what we do in the space, why paywalls exist, how we're trying to grow the game, all of these really nuanced things that we don't actually talk about that much, but uh, all go into the stories and tweets that you're reading. So excited to bring you this. If you haven't listened to Kicking Back, if you haven't subscribed yet, please go ahead and do so. We've had recent guests, including U.S. Women's National Team Head Coach Flatko Anonofsky, Houston Dash and U.S. Midfielder Christy Mewis, Vera Bocchette, Heather O'Reilly, the legend, uh, so many different guests and great conversations, players, coaches, personalities from across women's soccer. And please go ahead and rate and review this podcast. Give us those five stars. The more that you do that, the more discoverable this podcast is for other people, and we can bring these stories to more people just like yourself. So with that, on with the latest episode of Kicking Back. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Kicking Back. I'm Jeff Kasuf, your host, and I'm here with a name you probably know if you're following the space and following along and certainly probably following this pod as well, Meg Linehan. Welcome, Meg. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Meg, uh, full-time women's soccer writer at The Athletic. You host full-time uh, podcast, which is also a women's soccer podcast, The Fixture, which is a, a video um, series of social video series is probably the best way to to say that, I guess. That's fair. Um, That's fair. And then uh, what else? I know renowned whiskey <laughs> expert. What yeah. else are you? Uh, I mean, I did write a book this off season. Oh, so well, that, yeah. You know, it's just the number of projects just kind of keeps growing. But I mean, I think those are the, the big three things in terms of my week to week existence of, of trying to balance those three things and also sleeping. <laughs> so. Sleeping has been at a premium despite <laughs> Very few games this year, um, at least in the U.S. Uh, what what are the deets on the book that you can share? So it's about Megan Rapino. Um, it's really what's interesting for me was that it, writing that was actually a bit of a challenge because it's not actually intended for a soccer audience. It is part of a women in power series through Skyhorse Publishing, and so it's really just like looking at Megan Rapino and and trying to like be like, what is she really trying to tell us? Right. And obviously she has done a pretty good job of that, but I think it's super helpful to put her in the context of 
her life and and what's fun is having now read her autobiography like there is some overlap obviously but I think it is kind of fun to be able to be that person who kind of like follows behind her and is like no really this is what you need to be learning from Megan Rapinoe like you have the ability to step up and be an ally in a really significant way she has issued a call to action here's how you actually go about learning some lessons from her so um, writing that for like a non-soccer audience and trying to make it both a soccer book that is almost kind of like a self-help book was a really interesting challenge for me. I'll put it that way. How different was writing a book period from like thousand word articles? Yeah, very different. I mean, the nice thing is that like I had a very clear outline going in and I think had I not had a clear outline going in, I would have been in a lot more trouble than I was, but also the draft for the book was due two days before the NWSL college draft of this year. So I was legitimately in the hotel room in Baltimore, like hold up because I got in there early for the um, executive board meeting. Right. So I'm like, it was like me and Jonathan Tannenwald just sitting in a hotel lobby as I'm like legitimately <laughs> looking at my laptop, freaking out because I'm like, I have this list of things to do before this draft is due and just like plugging away and um, then basically like hiding in the hotel room for another day and then embedding with sky blue. So it was a really, that week, if we want to talk about a, a premium on sleep, that week is probably one of my worst of 2020 somehow. Yeah, convention is always that. So maybe maybe it'll help that it's digital in a f- few weeks. Um, so when what uh let's when can we see the book out? So it just actually got pushed. They're they're looking at a date closer to the Olympics, which will be fun if we have an Olympics. Um, so I think it's June first, right at the moment. All right. Well, there you go. You heard it here. I don't know if it's first, but <laughs> yeah, I've been kind it. of like going like I need to promote this. I need to promote this, and then things keep happening, and I'm just like, yeah. okay, well, I guess I'll do that sometime. <laughs> well, um, what, for anybody listening, I mean, you know, we wanted to talk here um, on this episode, just kind of the the ins and outs of of covering women's soccer, um, you know, on a day to day basis, which is still a, a rarity and. I guess not just our country in the U.S., but but certainly in the U.S. and, and I guess globally, uh, which is stuff we can get into. But um, so so no better person to to do that with um, than than right here with Meg. So you know I guess we'll get into some some nitty gritty. We'll try to maybe not too nitty gritty, but we'll try to pull back the curtain a little bit for folks who are wondering like what do you do? How does this work? You know I you know I follow you on Twitter, but all I see is your tweet. You know I mean there's mm-hmm. probably we can we can get into like there might be like 17 hours of work that goes into a 100 word tweet. Um, but you know, the, let's start Meg quickly with, you know, your full-time women's soccer writer, which um, has, has not really existed traditionally. Uh, the athletic, I know is committed for several years to that and to, to you. Um, what, what's the brief journey of your um, coming to cover women's soccer? Cause I know we met through that. Um, what, I don't know, seven years ago or maybe no it was it was I okay so like honestly I'm also like not here without you because you were the first email (laughs) I think I ever spent uh sent when it was watching I think the 2011 World Cup and I was like oh yeah I really liked (laughs) being a women's soccer fan in you know following the 1999 World Cup I was an intern for the Boston Breakers for the 2000 season of WSA right and then 
So like I, I check back into the space. Like, it's not like I wasn't paying attention, but like I I'm going like, okay, I'm going to dive back in. And so I'm looking for a spot of like, how do I get involved? Like I've, I've done some stuff here. Obviously I haven't done it in a while, but like maybe I can volunteer. And one of the first places I found was the equalizer. Right. And so, and then you had put out the kind of this call of we need help. Um, if you are in certain markets, right. And I was in Boston and Boston at that point had a team and it was kind of like in that weird space of WPS falling apart into WPSL elite. And so I was just like, well, I mean, I take photos for this band. I can just show up to games and take photos, right? Like, this is going to be fine. And you were like, okay, <laughs> like, cool. We'll, we'll work out a game pass. Like, and that's, that's how I got back into it. And then obviously like from there, it turned into this part-time thing that wasn't really like a, a paid part-time thing, but was like a labor of love, like for really everyone, right? Like I think almost everyone who is in this spot from like a woman soccer centric point of view started it paying out of their own pocket. Um, and then, you know, from equalizer and starting to like slowly get actual like freelance writing gigs, essentially quitting for a while because I was just like so burnt out and then coming back to it, getting uh, a full-time job at a startup in New York city and moving and, and having that first full-time job, this is a very abbreviated version of the story, but then having that, that first like women's sports site kind of fall apart out from under me and going, okay, well, is there a role for me at the NWSL? Cause fu fundamentally one of my main goals, like as I got deeper and deeper into this was wanting to be inside and wanting to figure out how to grow the game from the inside um, spending a couple of years at NWSL and then that partnership between the league and A&E, right, which had the games on Lifetime, that dissolves. And then this big kind of uncertainty of, of NWSL media falling apart um, and then going to the athletic and, and part of that offer being like, well, first of all, you're only writing, you're not doing all of these other things, but you also get to go to the World Cup. <laughs> Would you like to go to France for 33 days? And I was like, yes, cool. I can do that. Um, and then from there, you know, I think the athletic is such a, an interesting thing is that, um, having, having the, the buy-in from a spot that wants to actually like invest in the space and realizes, Oh, maybe we like we were overdue on having this but now that we're in here we see the potential and watching the investment grow not just from like the world cup point of view but like i got more support during this nwsl challenge cup than ever before like that was kind of almost my breakthrough moment at the athletic so again this is like the super <laughs> super fast version of this story but you know i feel like a lot of people always ask like how do you get your foot in the door and like for a lot of us who have been around this space for a really long time, like there's not, there's not like a path yet for women's soccer coverage. And I think that's kind of where the challenge is. Yeah. And something I think, you know, we both probably want to talk about here a little bit of, of I guess a how to change that. I mean, certainly, I don't know if it necessarily happens with, with just us or through us, although I, I think, you know, maybe in positions to do that and, and is a kind of a daily challenge to figure out, but um well, let's, let's get into that. I wanted to ask you too, though, you kind of answered it a little bit, but like, 
let's say normal times when we're not only living on Zoom and you're at <laughs> like whatever, uh, you know, a cocktail party, you know, all the, any of these like swanky things that like a some broadcaster hosts or something and you meet somebody, they don't know who you are, they haven't followed you. They want to know, what do you do? Like, how, how do you answer that question? Yeah, that's a good, that is a good question. I mean, I generally just try to say like, I cover women's soccer in America. Um, it does involve travel, right? Which has not necessarily traditionally been a huge part of my job. Like I did a little bit of travel for NWSL, obviously like for NWSL events, but um, there is definitely the travel element. But really for me, I just say like, I get to write stories about women's soccer. And now, <laughs> like over the past few months, like now it's not just writing stories. Like there is the podcast, there is the video show. But for me, I mean, like I fundamentally view it as it's not just being a reporter, like that is a huge part of the job. But for me, it is, I'm looking at myself as how do I get more people to follow this sport? Like I am an entry point for people to follow the sport and for the sport to be more accessible and understandable for every single layer of fans. And how do I approach bringing everyone I possibly can into this space. And so for me, like, yeah, I'm going to simplify it down and be like, well, I write about women's soccer, but when you fundamentally think about the job and kind of like where it fits into the ecosystem of women's soccer, I think that there's like, you kind of peel back that curtain a little bit and there's a lot more to it. Yeah. There is um, a bit of an advocacy element to it. That's, that's always been there and, and it's kind of natural, but um, probably, you know, leads me to, a point that I wanted to, to talk about with you of some of the, you know, as we kind of maybe pull back that curtain of there are these challenges that I think people never see, right? They see a story you've written, maybe a tweet, or maybe in, in a, on a bad day, you don't want to deal with, you know, a, a back and forth with somebody on Twitter, whatever that might be, but it's, you know, we are, you know, everybody, I think most everybody who's covering this, I mean, you're not, like you said, you're not covering this sport, if you don't have some level of care for it. I mean, it's not like just a sweet, well-paying job that you just stumble <laughs> into and you're like, all right, I'll take it. You know, Oh, you're going to yeah. assign me to that women's soccer beat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but with that, you know, there are things, the sports evolving, it's been growing pains. And I think um, one of the big things and, and a challenge that means there are things that go wrong. There are things that, aren't right. There are things that are controversial, you know, and I think in this sort of, I don't know, I don't know if you'd classify NWSL as an adolescent stage yet, but you know, some level of growing pain that like that is not necessarily welcome, but from our view, well, I don't want to speak for you, but from like, you know, journalist side, like this is part of the the deal. This isn't, not everything is rainbows and butterflies, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you've got a couple points there. Like, first of all, yes, there is that kind of like, I need to fight to prove, you know, I, I think a lot of what I say online is like, there is value to women's soccer coverage, right? Like that's a very fundamental point that I try to make on a daily basis. And part of that is just simply by doing my job, but that's, you know, like that 4% number that we hear about women's sports coverage, like that is like essentially tattooed onto both of us in terms of like a number to move that needle. So yes, I think that there is both a, an advo 
advocacy part in terms of like the actual coverage itself, as well as NWSL. And obviously like both of us are invested in seeing the NWSL succeed because it means that we have a sport to cover, but also like we both have covered women's soccer now for a long time. Like we want it to do well, but not, you know, like people covering the NFL aren't out here being like, boy, I sure do hope that NFL has a great year because it's going to like change my fortune (laughs) and my profession I need it to do well, right? No one's thinking about that. So there is that part to it. I think the other big thing is like, at the same time, like you have to, just because I want it to do well, doesn't mean that if it there are problems that I'm not going to talk about them. Um, I think I tend to be a little bit more optimistic than most in terms of like the health of the league or things like that. Like I like to put things in full context. I've also been on the inside. So I, I think that I do have that viewpoint of knowing like the the change is going to be slower than everyone would like. And also this big long list of things we would like to see in the sport. It takes time to get those changes to happen. Right. So I think that there is some realism, even while I have that optimism, but at the same time, and this is not the first time I've said this about the NWSL or women's soccer in general, like my joke is the motto is like, it shouldn't have to be this hard. Like (laughs) it should not, we should not have to fight some of this stuff so hard in order to make it happen. So, you know, I, I've talked about this with a lot of different people across this space. Like, I feel like my my go-to metaphor here is like everybody's still in their own little rowboat and we all kind of know what direction we're supposed to be heading in, but everybody's rowing at their own pace. Some people are going sideways. Some people are going in the wrong direction. And it's just like, you kind of need to corral everyone and all that same energy and understand like, we're not actually at odds. We are working towards the same goal. Like I am not your enemy uh, to the league, to teams, to the sport in general, like I'm going to keep you honest (laughs) in this process, but like fundamentally I'm not like an enemy of the sport. I'm like the furthest thing that you could get from that. But like, I'm also going to make sure that we're doing things the right way because that is also part of my job. And, and it is not a personal thing. Um, whether that comes to, you know, stuff that's happening behind the scenes. I mean, like, think about the reporting that I've had to do on Utah this year. It has not been a pleasant experience, but, or Utah on the field, right? Who has not had a super fantastic year on the field either. Like having to just be like, I'm looking at this thing and it doesn't look great. Doesn't mean that I think the people involved are necessarily terrible people or, or anything like that. So, you know, there are kind of levels to it, but, um, it is kind of an interesting thing of like trying to manage that relationship kind of at the heart of some of the reporting that you have to do too. Yeah. I think probably one of the most frustrating things that I heard a little bit too consistently this year um, from our perspective, which I think we talked about a little bit through the year, just in, in exchanging messages or anecdotes was that, that there is a view. I don't want to say everybody, but there seems to be a view in general terms from the inside that there are too many leaks there's not a you know that things need to be more secretive which is you know from our perspective a little bit mind-boggling because we have things like um what are we on the fourth month of hearing about a certain expansion team that was supposed to be announced yeah. you know yesterday yeah and you know trades that go 
you know, trades that are announced months after they apparently happened. You know, th these are things that boggle my mind. They, they wouldn't happen in bigger like, sports. And Look at the NBA and the way right. that, that Shams and, and Waters exactly. operate. Like, and, and the thing that I always try to keep in mind too, because I do think I have a slightly different approach. Like I don't, if the players don't know about a trade yet and I know about the trade, I have this personal rule of I'm not touching it until the players know because they are not, they are not on NBA salaries. I'll put it that way. This is like a very different landscape for the players. And I, I try to put players mental health and, and their career ahead of me reporting news because I think fundamentally that relationship is more important at the same time. Breaking news is part of our jobs at the same time. Like I have never thought that something being leaked quote unquote or told to press like, so that way one of us is reporting ahead of time has ever taken away from an official announcement. It never has. If I report something on the U.S. national team, I have, what, I don't know, 27,000 Twitter followers. They have 2 million. I'm not going to take away likes or – like it only preps people to know, to pay attention, to get excited, to start the conversation early so that way when the news actually happens, it only gets bigger in my opinion. So I, I have this personal thing of – and I, I, I will admit this freely – I hate breaking news. It is the least favorite part of my job. I hate it. it. Like breaking the news of Alex Morgan going to Spurs. Like I'm literally sitting in my eye doctor's <laughs> waiting room, freaking out as I'm texting people being like, okay, I got, I, yep, this is good. Okay. This article, like just trying to align with Paul, who's writing with me, my editors, the, the my sources, right? Like it is nerve wracking. There's not a part of it that I super enjoy, even when I know I have the news right. Yeah, no, I, I think I was, I actually had it on my list. I don't know if you're, you, you might have like a screen view of my, <laughs> I, I had it that one of the most stressful things, I think, um, you must hate many days then, by the way, because <laughs> there's a lot of news breaking, but uh, one of the most stressful things that I can think of, and, and you mentioned we've done, we did, we worked together and the capacity for a few years. I mm -hmm. can remember your point about player empathy reminded me of a certain moment that you might remember that we had like a full list of protected players in an expansion draft and we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and maybe that was my fault of slowing us down, but we ended up just publishing it because we had it. And, you know, we thought everybody had the news and woke up the next morning and there was at least one team specifically, I remember that was very mad because they hadn't told their players, but I think that was on them for not yeah. telling their players. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, yep. But um, but yeah, I think I was going to say that I think the most stressful thing is the breaking news, um, even when you know it's right and something something could always change because I, I think people like listening, you know, even when you like, there is no right until it's done, right? It's mm -hmm. It's 99% or whatever it can be at that point. But, you know, there is a sweaty, nervy sort of, you know, five minutes or five days, or, I mean, there I, are I reported Kelly O'Hara's trade in right. August. And it's only <laughs> it just, only just happening now, now official. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are things less consequential, same thing. Yeah. I've, I've had some things that have taken months and it's been like, okay, did something yep. change? And then you have to explain yourself of like, well, no, this was right at the time, but you still get, get trolled. I'm sure by, you know, whoever about it being wrong or it being changed. Um, but 
Well, I wanted to talk about, you kind of brought up empathy and, and relationship management. I mean, there was a point last year um, where, and, and I was probably writing more this time last year than I am now, um, which is probably the opposite direction I'd prefer to go, but um, I've just been wearing too many hats on it. And, and last year I was, people were saying this, people were asking me, like I asked you, how would you say what, how would you describe what you do? And um, I was at one point last year saying to people, well, 90% of my job is figuring out who's lying to me. Um, <laughs> and then, but, but there is like a big relationship management because you break that news on player getting traded, signing somewhere. She wanted to announce it herself or whatever. You know, I had this recently of something that was like, pretty innocuous from, from my view of, of breaking some news. And there was, you know, apparently it, you know, it was a problem in, in a way that I didn't even know it was. Um, but you have to man, manage relationships. So how do you go about doing that when you inevitably have to piss people off for lack of a better term, but you have to also be able to go back to them and let them respond to you. Right. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I know I was actually just on a panel with Grant Wall and Alexi Lawless, which is a very funny combination of three people, I think. Um, especially since I've historically had some comments online about how I feel about Alexi Lawless. But I think it's really interesting because, like, Grant had this whole story of, like, sometimes I just, like, let people yell at me. When I know that they're mad, at, like, I just give them 15 minutes to yell and then we we move on, right? And I think that... One of the best examples of this that I that I can point to is having relationships on both sides of the equal pay dispute, right? And managing those because sometimes I also feel like both sides are trying to like litigate their actual disagreement via text messages with me. And I'm like, I, <laughs> I'm trying to understand both of your points of view. And that's, that's my role in this, right? Um, but I think it's also just like fundamentally, like, even if you know that you're making someone mad, because like, I trust, like I've been yelled at a lot <laughs> since I started at the athletic, like a lot. And I think that there are times when I've been yelled at and it's been deserved, right? Because there are some complicated politics that I don't have full visibility to. And I get why that person is frustrated and I, I super understand it. But I think part of it is that listening process of being like, okay, I get it. Here's where I'm coming from. Here's my role in this. Here's how I approach my job. Right. I feel like, um, there have been times also where I have taken a slightly different approach where I might've had, information and I have instead chosen to try to build a better relationship with the, the people at the heart of that and get a different story rather than the news story. And I think that that's also like, you just kind of have to feel all of those decisions out. But, you know, when it comes to getting yelled at, like that's actually a thing that I think I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with in terms of understanding that like I get, I get frustrated sometimes if I get, if I get beaten to something or I'm like, Oh, I should have thought of that story. I like, I get the frustration also, you know, it's sports. Like <laughs> I think that there's a built in frustration to just our very existence. Um, but I do think that the nice thing is that most of the people who are doing the yelling at me, like we also go pretty far back. And I think that there is an understanding that, 
like I'm operating from a, a place of good faith, right? I am operating from a place of this is important coverage and you want this to be covered and you want this to be done right. And like, that's worth you having some frustration in this moment for the bigger picture. And I, that's where I try to start reminding people, but also, I mean, I do think that there is also just something fundamentally to like being on the phone for 15 minutes and letting someone get those emotions out and then coming back to it and then being like, okay, so what I actually needed to talk to you about was X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think maybe you've seen some, I mean, I think certainly I can think of things where it, I guess you're always in like a state of wondering because well, maybe not always, I don't know, but there are things where I've come on the other side of something, reporting, story, whatever it might be, and thought, you know, weeks, months down the line, okay, that that had some effect on whoever because something here has maybe changed. Um, yeah, which I guess is how it goes. But um, I, I think similarly, I mean, I, I um, a lot of what you said there, you know, the the breaking news, I think, is a necessary evil, or at least a certain, you know, is something that we have to do, but also you know, I would, we're in a weird world too, because I would prefer to, and I, you know, same deal, we'll hold information, maybe too much. I think I'm often maybe guilty of that, um, you know, but, but, you know, I would rather tell the story in like 2000 words of an incredible, here's how it happened, why it happened there. Here's this little detail that this person shared that like, makes your lead and um the person might not want to talk to you if you're the one who broke it because you <laughs> yeah. their announcement up or yeah how do you sort of balance that and i think you know it's hard because we're in a world of like well you could break that news and you have this visual i don't know if like the dopamines go off but you've got like a crap this popped off and it made twitter events and it's got you know a thousand retweets and you know so you're like your brain is there and then you could hold for, okay, maybe we actually go the the story route, yep. right? This amazing story that you love and you're looking at the analytics and you're like 300 people freaking read this. <laughs> and like, you know, I spent two days on this. So you kind of have this tug of, of back and forth of what do I do here? Yeah. And I think that's one of the nice things about where I ended up at is that there is a value to storytelling, right? And like, yes, there is absolutely also a value to breaking news, but I think that I'm trusted to do my job and figure out like what line I should be coming down on. And, you know, I think one of the big successes for me of this year was the fact that I broke the Angel City stuff, but then still was able to tell a good story when they formally launched on day one. And part of that did include an embargo ahead of the actual launch in order to get those interviews in. So it meant like the night before when, when other folks are being like, Oh, the team is have like, this is finally going right. I have to sit there and be like, I've got like these two stories and a podcast in the right. can and I can't do anything about it. Yeah. But at that point you had, you had had it for, that was weeks later, right? That, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like that to me is like one of the most successful things I've had as like a reporter of getting to have both bites of the apple, basically. Right. Right. Well, that is not usually the case though. Well, why don't you, what's the like brief version that you can share for people of, I think maybe just a real life example of this relationship management we're talking about. You, you break that news. I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what involvement anybody inside had, but I'm assuming yeah, some level I of mean, annoyance, like, right? 
Yes and no, because honestly, like also when I actually did break it, I had already been sitting on it for a while. Like there was already, and, and part of that was because I had discovered, uh, via like a tip, um, pointing me at the, the documents in terms of like the actual formation. So like I had all of this info and I was like, I can run it or I can actually try to like start building this connection and figuring out like, what is the actual story here? Because if I'm just out here being like, this person named Julie is <laughs> registering stuff for, for Angel City. I don't even know what that, like, it's not a good story. It's just me being like, here's what I know. Um, so then the challenge became like, okay, can I, can I get to Julie? Can I, can I make that connection? Can I talk to her? Can I, can I make her feel like, again, like I'm not her enemy. Right. Um, and also then like that first conversation was like, yeah, I mean, like you have this story, but also there's a much bigger story down the line. And as we saw with Angel City, there was a much, much bigger story down the line because at that point, I mean, like I could have maybe guessed that Natalie Portman was involved, but like that's not, at that point, I don't have anything even resembling. Even that first story doesn't have, like I speculate about Natalie Portman because again, like there was speculation, but you know, then the day one story is an interview with Natalie Portman. And I think that is fundamentally a better story but again that comes with a fundamental understanding between Julia and I have like we both have a responsibility on either side of this and she's got to start a team and and try to keep as much of it under wraps because she wants to control the narrative which I super get and then there's also me being like okay well I also have all this paperwork and I I can try to you know I'm only going to report what I can actually report because that's the other part of this too like I'm not just there's a lot in my brain that does not make its way <laughs> to a tweet or a story. Like I know too much. I know too much at all times. Um, so what actually goes into that first story is only kind of like a piece. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's the thing of like her, like being good enough to be like, I understand that you are you're going to do what you have to do. And, but we are going to continue to talk. And I think that that, is one of, I think, the best, like, starts to a relationship that I've had in the NWSL. And I think that that's really good. Yeah, I mean, everything, I think it's all situational, right? Like, you, that's good that that happened, and it's <laughs> and it could have gone, you know, yeah, sideways. Yeah, like, it could have been me calling up and be like, hey, I have all this paperwork, and she's like, ah, uh, goodbye. <laughs> right. You know? I remember the the best one, <laughs> this reminded me of, I don't know if it, it, it was not nearly as big of a deal, definitely, but... Also, um, just when the the flash were the Buffalo Flash in the USLW League, they were come they were moving up to WPS so 2010 into 11, and I just I like stumbled on something online that was just kind of a half tip. It was not legitimate, but I just called like their front office, um, their their GM at the time, and I was like, "Hi, this is who I am. Um, I, I heard that." you're looking to get an expansion team in WPS. And at that point, I, you know, to your point, I have nothing like as a responsible reporter, I have nothing other than let me try to make this call. But his response at the time on the phone, I will never forget was, how did you hear that? <laughs> I was like, okay. And yeah. then, you know, but, th but it did end up, I mean, you know, I think from there, like 
I, I ended up like the Salins were down in at sky blue before they announced anything and they were like scouting venues. And I was able to just talk with them without, you know, I, I guess I had already reported something at that point, but you know, was able to build that. Um, but that feels like ages ago. And I feel like grandpa talking about WPS. Um, so let's, let's talk about the, some important stuff. So, so we don't, um, cause I think there is some interesting stuff that, you know, the, the landscape of, um, you are the only full-time reporter at, at a major outlet. Um, I, you know, I do this full-time, but I would not call myself a reporter in the sense, I mean, I am, but it's not, you know, I wish I could. Yeah, only I mean, write. like you do like 17 things. I do, um, I think four. So. Well, you're doing probably 17, but, but I guess we're d- different things. I, you know, just, I'm, I'm kind of editing and trying to, I mean, part of this conversation, I guess I like, I'm constantly like, how do we actually grow? Um, I would love mm-hmm. to have, you know, a platform that, that we don't have to worry about. Like nobody knows who we are in a certain space. And, um, but, but part of that is like, there are not full-time reporters. And I think somebody said this to me recently, and I think this is a scary thing in some way if you want to, not, not to scare anybody, but there are more full-time reporters on women's soccer in the UK right now than the US, which if you were to think, you just wouldn't think that, I don't think, because this is a place where, you know, the sport itself has been ahead of, of times. And I think when we talk about like shifting landscape globally, that is not like a defining thing, but I think that kind of jumps out to me a little bit that. Um, yeah, I mean, when you think about like space, the way that, the Telegraph Guardian, I mean, we have Katie White at The Athletic uh, covering women's football full-time. Like, there are a lot of outlets that have truly dedicated themselves to meaningful coverage and not just, like, the, you know, the the thing that drives me crazy over here, the one a year, like, is the NWSL going to die, right? Oh, like, <laughs> there's there's actually, like, someone going to games and watching games and reporting off games and and writing features and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's more people actually dedicated and it's not that women's soccer doesn't necessarily get covered from like a mainstream point of view, but I am the only one at a mainstream outlet that does it full time, but that, you know, like we had a pretty solid travel contingent for the 2019 world cup in terms of like mainstream outlets being involved in that as well. But it's just, do those folks, um, have, have like, like, are they, they, are they actually checking into the NWSL week in and week out? Not so right. much. So. Yeah, maybe, maybe a few, but I think that probably leads to, to, you know, the big thing that we should talk about a little bit, which is like the path forward, because there are a lot of talented writers, creators that, um, you know, people we know obviously and work with that we would love to see doing this full time. I mean, I have, said to far too many people at this point, like, I wish I was able to just hire you full time. And we, I literally can't do that at the moment. I mean, we're, we're certainly made progress, but, um, you know, we are at Equalizer where we are now, um, because of a paywall, you are where you are at the athletic, you know, because that paywall exists. And, and what, in both cases, I'm going to guess different scales. Um, there is a proof of concept, as you've said, that, you know, here is the number of signups here. Here is the, um, I don't know how directly you're looking at things, but like I can look and I say, unfortunately can look at my metrics, which is bad for my mental health, but also helpful for me in terms of making a case <laughs> yeah, for my def- Definitely a mental health. Side. But okay. So like even the, you know, the actual, you can do the average cost or spend per subscriber then. And here's the rep. 
or no, not that. Yeah. I mean, like I can see how many like subscriptions that I pick up in a year and like off of what stories and and it's more like the numbers in terms of like the stories and podcasts and stuff like that. But, but similarly, I mean, like I have the, you know, the, the money version of that too, I guess, of like, here's what, what we're Mm -hmm. making and what we can then do with it from a budget. And, and, you know, you have to present that then to, um, I guess sponsors are, are the like in some way, but you know, your bosses obviously on your end. Um, but people don't love paywalls. And I guess, right. you know, what um, I've been thinking about this recently. I mean, there's what we're doing. There's what you're doing. I've spoken with people who maybe are thinking about paywalls or talking about different things. Um, there are paywalls locally, even some of the folks, you know, covering NWSL to a degree are right. in paywalls. So I understand just like OTT, how people are not thrilled about that, but this is where we're at, right? I mean, what, what are your feelings on like the necessity and, and maybe even like the, I feel like we're also going down that path of like, okay, well, people have said to me even like, I can't pay your 59. I pay, you know, for the athletic, I pay for my local paper, I pay for a cable and yeah. Yeah. We're like, people are getting split in a million different directions. I mean, like I think about how many OTT services that I subscribe to both for work and, you know, personal life. And I'm just like, I don't ever want to tally up that number. Cause it's going to horrify me at some point. Um, I mean, I think that, that genuinely like as someone who pays a lot of money again on a monthly basis to pay for the equalizer, to pay for Howard's newsletter, right. To pay for, you know, like I, I'm a, subscriber for Southside Trap Pod, for Burn It All Down, like a a whole bunch of places. And I think that there is kind of that inherent risk of people getting split in a lot of different directions. But I also think that right at the moment, especially when it comes to women's sports, you know, in general, athletic is in a different spot because that's the entire model. But also that is because I think you look at the state of journalism and sports journalism in general in this country, and like you have to show that this work deserves like money put into it. Right. Like that's, that's been kind of like the entire underpinning of this entire industry is that like people expected this content for free or it's supported by like an ESPN, right. That has all the broadcast rights deals. And there's like a larger financial picture and the website's only a part of it, but even they apparently are going to start moving stuff behind the ESPN plus paywall. Right. So like we're, we're starting to see this, real shift. And also like, I feel like the bottom has really fallen out. Like we had layoffs at the athletic earlier this year. Like the the company is in a better position, but um, you know, bleacher ESP, like every single one of these places has gone through a round of layoffs. So, you know, I think right at the moment we are seeing the fact that paying people directly for work that you value is fundamentally going to be the easiest way to ensure that it survives. And the athletic has been really interesting for me because I mean, even before I started working there, I remember the story that actually where I was like, oh no, I need to pay for this was there was a story about Mike Piazza buying the the Venice like lower division Italian team. And that's a story that like, I mean, maybe it, it runs at an ESPN, but like the way that it's told, the way that it's reported, like that's the kind of story that I look at. And I'm like, oh, that's the work I would like to do. And having that paywall for me allows me to, to, like be free to make the decisions of like, this is what's going to get my in-depth attention. And like, 
my struggle too is that there is kind of like an expectation of, you know, if I'm a if I'm a Houston Dash fan or a Portland Thorns fan or whatever, like there's only one Meg, but there's nine teams plus the national team, right? Like I'm subscribing essentially for one person's work. So that's my struggle in terms of trying to justify my work behind a paywall where like I might not necessarily be getting to a feature on your team, but I am doing larger picture stuff. I, I do think that like I'm still trying to tell stories where I can, but um, you know, fundamentally I do really think that the paywall is important, but also like having that data, like for me, being able to see my numbers, knowing that like there are decision makers who might not have necessarily understood the financial power <laughs> of women's soccer fans. Like we see it on the sponsorship side, right? over and over again about how powerful this group is. And like, if they check in to your product because a woman, like they are there and they are going to buy it. Like you see people buying Budweiser specifically because of NWSL, the exact same thing is happening for me. Like when people subscribe for my work at the athletic, then they go on to tweet at the athletic HQ account, not even like me or my bosses or whatever. It's like at HQ, like I subscribe for Meg. And only Meg or, you know, like, okay, I also, you know, read whatever, but like, there is fundamentally such a power to that, that only now people outside of like the two of us and a few other people are looking at it and going, oh, oh, that that's important. That's good. Like, that's an area of growth <laughs> we should be paying attention to. Right. And so I think that that part of it is really exciting, but you know, I think when I took the job at The Athletic, it was really such a a moment for me to be like, well, first of all, I'm walking into a mainstream sports place. I'm walking into a space that's going to be truly like framed around men's sports and making a case to these readers of why my work is important. And that's been a really interesting journey for me of converting people, you know, cause that's the same thing that the NWSL is basically dealing with at the exact same time. So, you know, it's both like the paywall part, but it's also the audience that you do have in terms of trying to make inroads there as well, I think is just as important. Yeah. I think the, the self-promotion is probably one of the more uncomfortable. Okay. I lied. That's actually things. my least favorite. Yeah. That's, that's, um... <laughs> it's it's self-promotion to slash talking about myself and then uh, breaking news and then some other things. But like, I, that was honestly like when I first started talking to the athletic, I remember telling my wife, like the one thing I, I used to love the fact that I could hide behind like the NWSL handle, right. That I wasn't mm -hmm. getting any attention put on me. And then to be like, Oh, I have to promote my own work. I'm going to have to like be the brand of Meg Linehan. Like that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and like that's, that's another part of it too. Well, I mean, it can be tiring. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, the, um, like from my perspective, it, it is tiring to be like, Hey, I'm doing really great work. And, you know, there's a humility to that, that at some point you're like, I'm not going to keep saying this. Right. But you should pay for this. Or, you know, if you're interested, I mean, obviously this is not for everybody. There's an inherent right. acknowledgement of that, but like every time you do a, an amazing feature, it's like, well, it's behind a paywall for a reason. Let me tell you why the paywall exists. Let me tell you how you should subscribe. And um, I think, you know, I've seen people who have been like, yeah, I'm tired of that, um, of hearing that. And I get that. 
Um, and I'm, you know, I think we're tired of having to say it, but it's where we, we are for, for several reasons. I mean, we started, we started the paywall for equalizer when I, I think just in time really, but like this, this landscape has been shifting with, um, the, the ad model has been totally broken for a while. And I was at 442 at the time. And unfortunately we had, you know, changes that had to basically everybody got let go. And then eventually myself as well. And I was like, had an inside view of an ad model and what did and didn't work and where things were going. And, um, you know, I know some of those, you know, Paul obviously is, is one who's Mm -hmm. over with, with athletic now. And I think people have seen kind of the, uh, value of, of that. So, um, yeah, the, the self-promotion is, um, uncomfortable. And I think the other thing I've had to learn too, on a totally different note that we don't need to go in the rabbit hole on, but you mentioned before is like, um, I, like when I trained in journalism, it was like, I mean, my major was sports journalism. I was just like, give me sports, forget everything. <laughs> and like quickly realized that this is not like, that would be, my, if anybody's listening to this, like thinking about taking a class or something like the legal side, first it was three years of turf wars and needing to understand like what the actual legalities of that were in a different country and trying to sue quote unquote an entity that wasn't in that country either. And and now we have obviously year four going into five of, of equal pay. Um, and there are things that like, I do not understand um, certainly upon first read or without explanation or, you know, certainly more than I, I understand the more now, but um, there are things that I'm sure for yourself as well. I'm like, okay, I, yeah. mean, I got the general gist <laughs> here and I can tell yeah. you what's important, but. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it has been really weird to basically be like, I've got to pretend like I, I'm a lawyer. Right. And I've made a lot of jokes about how I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on the athletic, but I think that, you know, having to I feel like 2020, especially early on was really like the year of court filings in a way. Like we got that long layoff um, again, but I mean, for, well, you know, like February, March, April, May, right. Like right until the start of May, it was just like, I felt like every Friday night I would sit down, have dinner with my wife, have a beer or two. And then I would suddenly get the email to be like, be on the look for legal documents. And I should have learned at some point to stop having beer with dinner. I never did. And then it turned into like you would open up Pacer and it would be a thousand pages of documents and trying to pick through and figure out what was important, not just for the story, but in terms of like trying to figure out what was even happening. Right. And obviously like not a lawyer, but I think my only gift there was, first of all, I also don't have any formal training in journalism whatsoever. I was a literature major and who mostly studied medieval lit. And then wrote my thesis on Harry Potter in college. So like, I have no, (laughs) I have no claims to being an expert in any sense of the word, but I am a very good speed reader. (laughs) So that was what was really coming in clutch those late nights of, of skimming through documents, basically downloading everything and then figuring out how everything tied together and what was going to be important. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of, I mean, it was, it was even fun this week in terms of finally getting the settlement for the last remaining chunk of the actual starting lawsuit from 2019 and being like, I had to go back and read my own old, old articles because I was like, oh my God, I got to get this part of my brain back because yeah. it's been in shutdown mode for months. And like, 
I mean, back in the early part of the year, like I could start, I was getting into the groove. Like I could have told you what that 54 B appeal process nonsense was. And then I was looking at it yesterday and I was like, I've, I have no memory of this whatsoever. (laughs) Like it does not seem like it is that important right at the moment moving along. But you know, I I started to kind of like get in the groove of knowing what I was looking for and, you know, reading the, the interview transcripts, right? Like being the the first one to find that, shall we fight it out? Carly Lloyd part, you know, like part of it is just finding the nonsense within all of these pages, but, you know, trying to craft helpful articles where again, like, and maybe this is going back to that theme of like being a, a filter for people, right? Like I have the, the backstory of the U.S. Women's National Team and the Federation. I don't necessarily have the legal knowledge, but I have enough that I can probably put these pieces together and understand what it, what the the bigger storyline is in terms of like the actual argument that's happening between these two sides and putting it in the context of the players versus the Federation. But yeah, I mean, that, that was absolutely like... <laughs> I mean, I feel like all of us who are already in the women's soccer space were pretending to be like business experts because we have to be to cover this league and marketing experts, right? Like, and that was my big thing at the league was, you know, stepping into a a content position, but then becoming social media manager. and And then the content manager is having that fundamental understanding of digital and and social marketing, right? So like I'd already kind of self-taught myself there and then bringing that knowledge forward. But like you got to wear a lot of different hats. And and at one point in there, I was like, boy, I sure do wish we would have some games because I was hired to write about soccer. (laughs) And here I am pretending to be a lawyer. Yeah, no, and and time is, um, I I don't know what time is anymore. I mean, it's it's a weird... (laughs) weird thing. Same as, same as sleep. So, um, and case in point is, you know, we're on this, we're both trying to like, make sure we're not missing anything. I know <laughs> some things are happening as we're recording. The Kelly this. O'Hara trade is now finally yeah, official. Yeah, we, so we many months later, at least prepared for that one, I guess. Um, <laughs> but so I will, I will wrap it up for us. Um, well, a couple quick hit things and maybe, maybe first, you know, quickly the, the online part of this, we mentioned, the self-promotion stuff, not necessarily comfortable. There is the flip side of that, of, of dealing with people, right, on, on social media, um, which I think, um, you know, like, I don't like to get anything wrong. I know you don't like to get anything wrong. maybe not even the word, but, you know, you just, like, I don't like confrontation necessarily either. So um, there's always usually some of that. And, and I know, you know, um, unfortunately, Twitter, um, Twitter is this, this um, necessary evil, I guess, to use the term again, because it is where everything seems to happen from a news perspective, but it also is also where so much sort of vitriol exists, and, and particularly as a, a woman covering sports or, or just mm-hmm. in the space in general. Um, and I, I know that you know you deal with that in, in ways that probably I and other people don't even see or can imagine. I mean, what what is the um, I guess how how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I mean, I think I I've I've kind of like gone through some phases in terms of like sometimes I, I'll kind of snap back at people, sometimes I won't. Like I think my new thing is being like I really shouldn't dunk on people, even though it feels personally very satisfying for like five minutes and then 
am I really the jerk in the situation? Right. Like, so, um, I've definitely had moments of frustration where I have snapped back. Like I also like randomly got yelled at by someone who doesn't follow me last week, because obviously like I'm originally from Massachusetts. This is not really a secret, but like I support the revs, um, in MLS. And like, that's a, a space for me where it's like the fun thing for me because I don't, I don't have to cover it really. Right. So like, all I did was say like, let's go revs. And then an Orlando fan came in and was like, ah, terrible writer supports terrible team. And I was just like, I didn't do anything you did. Like, um, so, you know, like for me, it's, it is my new thing is trying to be like, you don't need to dunk on people. Right. Like I understand that it's satisfying, but you probably shouldn't. Um, but also I think that, that generally like, I definitely get some stuff, but I don't get anything like what, um, you know, like WNBA players get or anything like we are kind of in a, uh, a relatively safe corner of the space. Also, like I cover women's sports. So like I'll get the kitchen stuff, but it's not like I'm a woman trying to cover men's sports and both having to like prove that i belong there plus like there's like so many layers to that there's so many layers to the WNBA thing like I've definitely gotten sexist homophobic whatever comments but like there is kind of like this bubble I think that women's soccer still has where it is largely what feels to be okay every like the only times where I get really annoyed like in a really consistent fashion is when I'm reporting on the equal pay case and then suddenly you get every armchair economist out of the woodwork who has two followers who's like well they agreed to this CBA like and I'm just like I did not ask for your opinion and thus (laughs) you were being muted forever goodbye but I think that that also like I've gotten a little more used to it as time has gone on and like, it's actually kind of getting less and less kind of the less attention the case is really getting as we get further into it. But yeah, there were definitely some times where I'd just be like, if I hear another person like pretend they went to like Yale business school, tell me about what the resolution in this case should be. I'm going to scream. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely subscribed to the uh, mute over block to not give the satisfaction of a block. Uh, yeah, I think the one the one thing that I have to decide is like what level of um, terrible some of the replies are because I, I will opt for the block if I don't want someone following me to then encounter that person because then that means they can't reply to me in the future. So that way, like it's part of me is almost like a community management thing of like I don't want that mm. person like to come back into this space because people do like go through my mentions in a way that like I didn't always anticipate before. Um, so for me, if it's someone who's like, just truly being like a trash bag of a human, I'm like, no, you're gone. (laughs) You are in the dumpster. You're not coming back in here. Thank you. And goodbye. So trash bag of a human. There we go. We've got some, some t-shirts that might come out of this, I guess. Um, well, let's end on a, maybe a better note. What's, um, favorite story you've, you've written, whether this year or overall. And I mean, we should say too, you're a photographer. Yeah. Favorite photo even? Um, I mean, I did really enjoy being on the field for Allie Krieger's 100th cap celebration. And I got this really amazing photo of like Ashlyn Harris, just like weeping into a towel (laughs) as it was happening, which I thought was extremely, extremely sweet. Um, 
So that was a really, really nice moment. Um, I think favorite story for the year. I mean, I've definitely done a few. I do think like I had just shared it again this past weekend, but embedding with Sky Blue, like in terms of access and I mean, again, a story that got me yelled at by a few people um, on the backside of it (laughs) in terms of um, I think a little people, a few people being thrown by how much access there was. Um, That to me was kind of like the proof of the trust and like the story that can result from that trust. Um, but it was also just, it was so interesting. Like having been at the draft from like a number of different point of views, like, you know, you don't get a lot of visibility into how decisions are being made. And so to actually like get that look into it and know, like, I mean, if you want to talk about lack of sleep, I don't think Elise LaHue slept more than like two hours that entire week. So like just understanding the amount of work that goes into, you know, basically like a a three hour, four hour draft was really, really interesting and really just very cool to see up close. Yeah. What about um, funny, funny moments, maybe interviews, you know, um, I, you don't have to name a person, but like yeah. something horrible that happened in an interview <laughs> or crazy or. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any, ever anything super horrible. I mean, I still have this moment of, and this was right after the 2019 world cup going out to Tacoma to interview Megan Rapino for like a one-on-one story. And, um, <laughs> someone like behind us was, was trying to ask her if she wanted a bottle of water and she goes, Megan. And both of us are like, and I was just like, oh, I'm I'm not the alpha Megan in this room <laughs> anymore. And just like immediately being so embarrassed, even though it was a completely understandable and normal thing to do, but being like, oh my God, I'm like, and it's not like Megan Rapino doesn't know me either, but it is, it's one of those moments that gets stuck in your brain of like that weird embarrassment where you just relive it when you're just sitting here thinking to yourself, okay, I'm doing my job. And then I'm like, hey, remember that time that you were weird with Megan Rapinoe in person? Cool. Like, let's just recycle through that moment again. So that's one of mine. Um, but I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything truly. I mean, again, I think I'm, I'm never going to beat the fact that I basically didn't get credentialed by U.S. soccer for a while after asking um, the former president of U.S. soccer, why Jill Ellis got announced via an Instagram post <laughs> instead of a full-on press conference. Like, I've got to really work to beat that as a as a moment of both, like, getting yelled at, but also <laughs> in terms of something going sideways on a <laughs> in a way that I did not anticipate. Yeah, well, let, let's end it on maybe a prediction note, 2021, other than, like, normal life and season and um, maybe from a media perspective, I don't know. What, what's a, is there like a trend that you might predict? I, I've been seeing a lot of player-oriented, like players recently, ex-players getting involved in the space. That's one for me. What are you sort of seeing in the the women's soccer space? Yeah, I mean, I would really just like to think that you know when I when I went to the athletic, I was like maybe I can be kind of the model for other mainstream sites, and so I would I would really like to finally inspire a level of competition from from somewhere else like I think it's a little overdue I think uh you know I will say one one prediction I would really like to see Graham Hayes land somewhere that's gonna make use of him especially from a soccer point of view but 
Um, you know, I, I did kind of expect ESPN to maybe pick something up. I think CBS um, has done a pretty good job in terms of, you know, they found a completely qualified and talented and amazing person in Sandra Herrera. But um, I, I do think that I am both hopeful and, and I will go for the full prediction that we do actually maybe get some real meaningful full-time hires in this space at least I would like to think one or two I'm not gonna like go here and be like we're gonna get 10 people suddenly you know covering soccer full-time in the U.S. but I do think that we are gonna finally start to see some progress on that front all right well there we go that that would be a good way to start 2021 um well Meg the athletic and and full-time and the fixture and um, appreciate you coming on to, to talk uh, women's soccer. Maybe hopefully folks listening got a little bit of a behind the scenes of how things work, at least from, from our perspective. Yeah. You know, like it, it, I will say like people think it's a very like cool and glamorous job and it has moments, right? Like again, both of us were in France for a while and, and got to live through that world cup, but also um, it is, it, it is definitely still at the end of the day, a job that is <laughs> got its own weird frustrations and nonsense and getting yelled at and all that kind of fun stuff. So, but. Yep, absolutely. France is a, a whole nother epic topic to get frustrated about. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to Kicking Back and we will catch you soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kicking Back. Please go ahead and subscribe if you don't already so you don't miss any of our great interviews, past, present, or future. Thank you to producer Claire Watkins who makes this podcast sound great. And please be sure to check us out at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. We're at it every year. This year it's going to be digital where it won't be in L.A. as expected, but uh, maybe we didn't expect that the way this year has gone. So registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be there in person, we can still interact from January 11th to 15th, 2021. Still get all the great soccer coaching community content together for a week with fantastic presenters, networking opportunities, uh, socials, uh, which will be on Zoom as we've come accustomed to, and so much more, including us on Podcast Row with some great interviews coming your way in January. So go ahead and register for the United Soccer Coaches Convention at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan.